Welcome to this edition of the Gateway Podcast. For more information about our faith community, feel free to visit gatewaychurch.org.nz. Thanks for tuning in and enjoy this message. All right, so like Chris said, thank you for introducing me. My name is Matthew Kowaleski. Um, I am married to the beautiful Sarah Jane. She's sitting over there, so give her heaps. Uh, and I'm, I'm quite honored to be here, so thank you for taking the time to come to listen to me. When I was first asked to do this by Chris, I did want to say no for many reasons, but most of my walk has been shaped by the words of John Wimber, which state, everyone gets to play. And it's my understanding that when we become part of God's family and become part of his kingdom, he will give us gifts and talents to use that under the authority of the church leadership, we can grow his kingdom. And along with these gifts and talents, I believe we all have a story to tell. I believe we have a story to tell of how Jesus came to our life, how he impacted us, what our life looked before God, and what our life looks with God. So that's what I want to try and do today. I want to try and take some of my story, take a psalm, and take the gospel, and weave it all together. And the psalm that I want to share with you today is the 23rd psalm. And the reason that I want to share with this is because it's, it's a piece of scripture in my life that has helped me shape my view of God and, and God's interaction with me. And I think it's, it's so beautiful because it's so simple, it's only six verses, but yet it beautifully unpacks the complexity of God's relationship with us. Now for my benefit and for yours, um, could we please pray? Dear Lord, I thank you for your goodness and truth. Father, I just pray would you be here today. Open our hearts and minds to hear what you have to say. In your name we pray, amen. So if you have your Bibles or phones, could we turn to Psalm 23 as we read. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, walk through the valley of the shadow of death. I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table for me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup runs over. Surely, goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Now, like I said, this is one of the most leaned-on pieces of Scripture in Christian history, so if you don't know it, I suggest you go home and memorize it, because it will come in handy. But what do we want to talk about today? Well, I want to talk about two main points. The first point is Jesus is a leader worth following. And the second is just because you follow Jesus, it doesn't mean your life will always be easy. Now initially when I looked at the psalm, I tried to cover all the material in this. I tried to cover all the verses, but I quickly realized that there's just so much goodness in this that I wouldn't be able to do it justice by looking at all. So what I've tried to do is take a few verses and, and pick them out, the ones that are relevant to the point we're trying to get across. So point number one, Jesus is worth following. Verse number one, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Now most of us know the psalm was written by King David, and before David became king, he spent many years as a shepherd boy, tending to his flocks. So when he described God as a shepherd, he knew exactly what it meant. He spent many times with his flock, tending them in green pastures, but also defending them against bears and lions. And I think this is important to understand because David was not writing this from a distant theological place, 
but rather he was writing this from his personal experiences. And when we look at scripture this way, it allows us to put ourselves into it, and it becomes more real to us. Because I think scripture should be just as much of learning about God as it should be learning how to journey with God. Because God just doesn't want us to know information about him, but he wants us to be walking intimately with him. So David sets the scene in verse 1 by declaring that the Lord is his shepherd, that he will give him everything that he needs. But David experienced the highest highs in life and the lowest lows. But all throughout scripture we see a recurring theme of God being described as a shepherd and his people as his flock. And I think this is a very important attribute of God that sometimes we can misunderstand as Christians. But I think when we're able to live in the reality of this, it, help us, it helps us to navigate life. Now, David, David saw God as more than just an impersonal creator. He wasn't just some big mystical being, but he knew what it meant to be cared for, and he knew what it meant to be protected. And I think this can be seen in how David was known, a man after God's own heart. Now, at first glance, I think this might be easy to miss, but in the light of John chapter 10, I think this psalm is primarily about leadership, and I think it's primarily about the leadership of Christ. Now, I don't have time to read the whole of John chapter 10 today to you, because it's quite a long chapter, but if you don't know, I'd encourage you, go home, read it, and see what the Holy Spirit has to say to you. And in John chapter 10, Jesus paints a relationship to us about what it means to have him as a shepherd and us be his flock. And this is important because Jesus himself is the one here who describes himself as the good shepherd. This wasn't someone else's projection of who they thought God was. This wasn't someone else's idea of who they said Jesus was, but this is who Jesus himself said that he was to us. And when God tells us something like this, we can be certain that it is true because God does not lie and his character never changes. But I think through this, Jesus is saying we're his flock. He's offering us the gift of salvation. He's offering us the gift to come and follow him. And that's the thing. He wants us to come and walk with him daily. He wants us to walk with him because he promises us a rich and satisfying life. Now, the hard thing about a piece of scripture like this is it can be a lot of us have heard that Jesus is our shepherd before. But a danger and a trap I think we can fall into is thinking that we know exactly what it means for Jesus to be our shepherd. But what I've learned is I think that Jesus wants to teach us something afresh of what it means to have him as our shepherd and us be his flock. Because I think as a Christian in the world we live in, it's so easy to just Google any scripture we want. It's so easy to get any um, commentary on anything, and, and there's so much information about God. But I think God really wants us to be living with him daily, to be active members of his kingdom, and through the renewal of our minds, we'll learn his truths and be able to walk them out. But sometimes I think it's a lot easier to look at other people's lives and see how God is leading them. We might look to a worship leader, to a pastor, to these other people, and it's easy to see how God is leading them, but sometimes it's hard to see how God is leading us. And I heard one person describe the Christian walk to me as a house, and it's like, Jesus is knocking at the door, and as he knocks, we let him in. He comes into the, to the living room or wherever it is, but there's rooms in our life that we don't let him enter. We don't want him in the, in the attic or the basement or wherever. There's places we know that we don't want God to come into. But I think Christ wants all of us, and he wants us to lay everything down at his feet. But what is it that makes Jesus such a good leader, you may ask? Well, I think in John chapter 10, verse 11, he tells us, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays his life down for his sheep. 
And I think the primary reason that Jesus is telling us he is the good shepherd is because he cares for us, and at the end of the day, his actions speak louder than his words. We all know the story, we were separated from God, we couldn't bridge the gap between our sin and his righteousness, but God came in, he paid a price for us, he laid his life down, and he he allowed us to become part of his family. And this is important because when Jesus chose you and he chose I to be part of his his family and his kingdom, he didn't didn't make a mistake, he chose every single one of us to be intimately, intimately connected with him. And I think through the power of the Holy Spirit, God walks with us and he leads us and he's constantly there guiding us. And an interesting thought when I was looking at the psalm was David was able to see God as his personal shepherd, an intimate protector, before God allowed us to come into the Holy of Holies to experience his Holy Spirit. So how much more should you and I be able to experience God as our personal leader and savior than David could before that was the case? Now Jesus is not only the good shepherd, but in John chapter 10, he also declares himself better than all of the other shepherds that we may look to. And he even does a better job at leading us than we do ourselves. And the best analogy I can give for this is a good old Taranaki dairy farm story. And some of you know that Chris might have said, I grew up on a Taranaki dairy farm, and often I'd find myself walking the cows from the paddock to the shed. And one time I was doing that, I was just walking the cows, and as I was walking them, I saw a cow with a sore foot, and she was limping. So when I got her to the shed, I notified Dad, and I said, hey, there's a cow with a sore foot, let's, let's try and fix it. And he said, sweet, we're going to have to try and treat that, or it might just be a stone, but we're going to have to have a look. So what we did is we, we got the cow, we put her in a race, and naive young me, I thought, man, I'm a good guy, I'm about nine or ten here, I want to help this cow, she's in pain. And so what I did, I reached down to, to grab her foot, and as I reached down, she just kicked me. And Dad just laughed because he knew that would happen. But, but so then we ended up getting a rope, tying, we tied up her leg, and we looked, and sure enough, there was just a little stone between her hoof. And so what we did is we just took out the stone, flicked it out, untied her leg, and she was able to walk off normally. And as much as this is a great story about cows, I think this also, how often do we become like that cow? You know, we walk through life, and I've only walked 23 years, but... We walk through life and we walk through relationships, or we walk through disappointments, we don't have the things happen to us that we want to, and we slowly begin to acquire baggage. And this baggage begins to weigh us down and it begins to shape the way that we view the world. But then God comes to us and he says, all you who are weary and heavy laden, give me your burdens and I will make them light. But how often is that we, we resist God, we don't lay down the things at his feet that we should, that we know that we should. Because I think in the world that we live in, it's so easy to think that you and I can lead our lives better than Christ can. And I think it's so easy to try and find satisfaction through through the things of this world. And primarily that I've seen is both money and relationships. But these things may only give you satisfaction for a small amount of time. They might give you a small wealth or a small happiness, but they will never be able to give you long-lasting satisfaction and joy. Because what happens when the person you trust on they walk away, or the investment doesn't go the right way. We're left with nothing, and we're left feeling empty. But Christ tells us, come to me, and I will give you life. He promises us abundant life, and he promises us that he will always be with us through the power of his Holy Spirit. So I want to encourage you today that if you don't know Jesus as as your shepherd or you're doubting his goodness, just know that he is good, he cares for you, and he loves you. He paid a price for you, a high price, and he didn't make a mistake.
But when you do follow Jesus, this leads me to my second point, even though we jump on the train, jump on the journey, doesn't mean that it's going to be easy. For verse 4 of Psalm 23 reads, Yeah, walk through the valley of the shadow of death. I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. And in a book called A A Shepherd Looks at Psalm 23, David Keller begins to unpack the picture that David's trying to paint to us here. The summer's coming and and all the the grass and the the green pastures at the bottom, they're about to dry up and there's going to be no food for the sheep to survive. So the only way to make sure that the sheep can can last the, the summer, the dry summer, is to take them from the green pastures at the bottom and take them up into the mountains where there'll be food to sustain them. But often, and I didn't know this until I read the book, but the easiest way from the flats at the bottom to the mountain at the top is through the valley. And, and in order for us to, to walk there, often we have to walk through the valley. And I think that's the same when we come to Jesus. We might start off our relationship with God as green pastors. We, we're satisfied. It's like, man, this is awesome. I love Jesus. But then slowly as we begin to walk, Christ, for where we need to go, Christ needs to take us through the valley. Because I think in the valley is where we are tested and it's where we grow to be more like Christ. And if you have talked to a Christian that's been following God for any longer than five minutes, a lot of you will know that life can be hard. And some of you might know that about five months ago I had surgery on my hip. And so what happened is I was in Taranaki coming to Hamilton to study and I was playing rugby at the time, but I had quite a lot of injuries, so I thought to myself, what sport can I play that won't hurt me? And I thought, surely I can't get hurt playing soccer. But, <laughs> but little was I wrong. And my first couple of games, I was playing just a social game. I, I kicked the ball, and as I kicked it, I just felt a sharp pain in my hip. And I think I was only 20 or 19 at the time. So I went to the doctor, and, and I said, hey, I've got a pain, and, and they brought me to the surgeon, that eventually I was told that I'm probably going to need surgery on my hip. But now I grew up in a very Pentecostal environment, and I'd seen God heal people before. I'd seen him come in supernaturally, heal people on the spot, and I knew that he could do that. So I thought to myself, I believe in God, I trust God, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to allow him to come in and heal me. So I prayed with my friends and my family for about a year and a half, and nothing happened. But eventually my hip was getting worse, and so I went back to the surgeon and I said, hey, I'm actually in a lot of pain here, can I apply for the surgery? But then after a short while, it became evident that I wasn't actually going to get funding for my surgery. So now I'm three years into this process, a year and a half of praying, a year and a half of waiting for surgery, and the doctor comes back to me and they say, hey, you're not going to get your surgery, it's not going to happen. And I don't know if I can explain the pain that I was in, but I couldn't walk, I couldn't go to uni, my job was being affected, everything I was doing was starting to be affected. And so it was in that place that I was quite hopeless and I was in a lot of despair. But then I was, I was driving to Auckland way one day to see Sarah and her parents because she was up there. Um, but, but what happened is I was, I was angry and I was hopeless because I knew that God could heal me. I knew that he could come in and supernaturally touch my situation, but for whatever reason, he didn't seem to do it. And as I was driving, I was listening to a, to a sermon, and it happened to be on Psalm 23. And I can't remember what the sermon said, but I can remember the conviction that I felt in my heart. As I was driving up there, I just felt God speak to me. And he, he said, I don't know how theologically correct this is, but he said, how dare you trust that I'm not leading you? And have you ever done something and you just instantly feel guilty? 
that, that's what happened to me. I just instantly felt a conviction come all over me, and I thought, man, I'm actually trying to lead my life here, and I haven't trusted God with this. But what I did is I, I instantly said, God, I'm sorry. I'm sorry that I haven't let you be the leader of my life. I'm sorry that I haven't been trusting you in this. Please take this from me. You're a good God. I don't know what I'm doing. Come and fix this, please. And then I know this won't always happen, but about a week later, I got some more prayer, and a lot of the pain went away from my hip, and I could walk normally and do most of my daily life. And then another week later, the surgeon came back to me and they said, look, I don't know what happened, but we've approved your surgery. And literally within a space of two weeks, I went from despair, I thought I was going to have to change my whole life, to conviction, and realizing that I was wrong, and then God came and provided for my situation. And now I'm sure that there's a lot of people here who would have suffered far greater losses than just a sore hip. But I think it's important that no matter what valley we walk through, no matter what place we're in, we don't let the reality of our trial take place of what we know God to be and who we know him to be. Because when I was struggling with my hip, I was praying, God, heal me, and it didn't seem like he did, and then I was tempted to say, God, you're not the healer. Or I was praying for God to deliver me, and he didn't deliver me, so I was thinking, maybe you're not who you say you are. But it was in those times that I had to learn to trust the word of God, even though my situation didn't line up with it. And I also think it's in these trials and these times that our faith is tested and we become more like God. For in James it tells us, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because they know that your testing of your faith produces perseverance. James was aware that a life committed to Christ was going to be full of trials, but he also knew that in order for your faith to grow, it had to be tested. And Peter reads a similar thing in chapter 1, verses 6 to 9. So truly be glad. There is a wonderful joy ahead. Even though you must endure many trials for a little while, these trials will show that your faith is genuine. It has been tested as fire tests and purifies gold. Through your faith is far more precious than mere gold. So when your faith remains strong through many trials, it will bring you much praise and glory and honor on the day when Jesus Christ is revealed to the whole world. And I think you're getting the picture here. In order for us to be like Christ, we have to be refined like Christ. And I don't know if you know the refining process of gold. I didn't really know this until I looked it up. But when you heat up gold, there's a lot of impurities in the metal. And so what happens is you chuck it in a pot and you heat it up really hot. And the the other metals, they come to the surface. And the refiner scrapes them off and he keeps scraping them until the refiner can see his own reflection in the gold. And I think this is what happens with us. The enemy is firing arrows at us. He's firing, firing trials at us that think are there to derail us. But then Christ comes in and he takes them and he uses them to take things out of our life that we didn't even know were there. Like I thought that I trusted God. I thought I trusted him with everything. But it wasn't until I was put into a place where my trust was tested that if it was evident that I didn't. I mean, I might have trusted him with my mother uni or my job, but I definitely didn't trust him with my hip. And I definitely didn't trust him with my health. But when you are going through a hard time, don't be discouraged, but be encouraged. Because God is shaping something in you, and, he's, and he, he can take a thing of bad, what's meant for evil, and he uses it for good. He uses it to shape our character and to grow us to be more like him. And I think it's crucial that, again, when we're in this place of trial and we're in a place of suffering, because trials will come, it's just a reality of life, that we don't let our theology of God be shaped by the trial. 
because our perspectives and our feelings and our emotions will always change. But one thing that never changes is the Word of God. Because it's in the Word of God where we find comfort. And we know that who God is never changes. And our situation can change and our perspective can always change. But God will never change. Because in the reality, Jesus is the only leader that will never leave us. He's the only one that will never forsake us. And through the power of the Holy Spirit, He is with us, guiding us. And verse 5 kind of carries on this theme. It's, you prepare a table for me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup runs over. And then again, from a, I get this from a, a shepherd looks at Psalm 23 by David Keller. And then in this book, he describes the picture that David is painting for us. We're still in the valley here. We're surrounded. We're not, we're not in the green pastures. We're not on the mountaintops yet. And we're surrounded by enemies. And it's in this place that Jesus provides a table for us. And I think the psalm gets to the heart of what it means to follow God, even when we don't understand what he is doing. Often we don't understand that there's a spiritual battle being waged around us. But the writer of Ephesians tells us, For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. This writer knew that there was a battle going on for our souls. But Jesus comes into our situations and he provides for us. But Jesus was also aware because in John 10, 10, he tells us, the thief comes not except to steal, kill, and destroy. But I have come that you may have life and life more abundantly. And just when the enemy thinks he has us down, just when he thinks he has us pinned, that's when God comes in and he provides for us. But often I think his provision can be in ways that we don't even understand. And the best Example I can think of this comes from my beautiful wife, Sarah Jan. She um, has given me permission to tell the story before I, before I say it. But when she was 19 years old, her mum was diagnosed with cancer. And this is before I knew her, and she was in her first year of uni. And so her mum had just had surgery, and they weren't sure if the surgery had been successful or not. They weren't sure if she was going to make it. So Sarah went home a day after, and she started to talk to her mum. And she was obviously crying and she was upset because she didn't know what was going to happen to her. But as she began to talk to her mum, it became evident that her mum didn't seem to be too phased by what was happening. She didn't be, she wasn't, seemed to be scared of what was going on. And this kind of annoyed Sarah because she thought, you have cancer, why are you, why are you doubting? What, what's the deal here? And she said to her, why are you crying, Sarah? God never promised me that life was going to be easy, but he did always promise me that he'd be with me. And how hard do you think that would have been for Sarah's mum to do? She's, she's literally in a place where she doesn't know if death is going to come to her. She doesn't know if she's going to make it. Her daughter's here doubting, crying to her, but yet she's still able to say, God never promised me it would be easy, but he did always promise me that he'd be with me. And it was through this that I think Sarah's heart began to be softened. And she thought to herself, if my mum, who I love so much, can follow God and trust him with everything, even when she doesn't know if she's going to make it, then maybe, just maybe, I can trust God with that. And thank God for any made it through the surgery, she made it through the cancer, and she's alive today. But at the start, Sarah's faith was also Made, made right, and Sarah chose to come back to God through that. And it was through Fredini's unwavering faith that Sarah was brought to salvation. And often I think that's the provision that the, Lord, that the Lord provides for us in our times of trial. 
We all have influence over someone. Someone is always looking to us, and it's how we react, and it's our faith in God that may be the difference in someone else's walk. Because we all look to someone, and if they can see how we're responding to a trial, and they can see our faith, and they may be encouraged. So just because you follow Jesus, it doesn't mean your life will be easy. But know that he will always be with you no matter where you go, what you do. And often he will provide for you no matter what life brings to you. And the point that I'm trying to make, and I'll reiterate this, just because you follow Jesus, it doesn't mean your life will be easy. So what have we looked at today? Well, we've looked at two points. Jesus is a leader worth following, number one. You can always trust him. You can lay your life down to him and know that he will give you a rich and satisfying life. But point number two, just because you follow Jesus, it doesn't mean your life will be easy. So I'm pretty much done here, but what I want to do is maybe talk to three different groups of people here, so please be with me. The first group I want to talk to, uh, if you've come to here, 2020, it's a new year, new you, and you've come and you, you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you don't know what it means to have him as your shepherd. And if you're in that place, or you might feel anxious, or you don't know where life has taken you, you look back on your life and you can't see a trail of goodness and mercy, but you see a trail of maybe destruction and heartache, then I would encourage you that repent from your sin, reorientate, reorientate your life to God, and choose him to be your shepherd. Because I remember when I was going through a time as a teenager, I wasn't really following God, and I had a shoulder, shoulder operation. And I kind of contrast this between my hip and my shoulder, and they're both pretty much the same. They're both for a sports injury. I had surgery on both, and now I'm pretty much good. But through my shoulder, I was praying for God to heal me, but I only wanted him to heal me so that I could go back and play rugby. I didn't really allow him to shape me and change me through that. But it was through my hip that, yes, it was the same outcome overall, but I still learned a lot more about God. I learned about my character, and I learned what it was like to trust him. Because I don't think when you become a Christian, the things in your life just suddenly change. You still have a spouse, you still have your body, you still have commitments, and you still have trials, but it's just how we can respond to those trials changes. And Jesus is able to come into a situation and give life where there may not be life otherwise. And the second group of people I want to talk to is if you are in a valley right now, or you're about to go through a valley, then please know that God is with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you, and he wants abundant life for you. There are green pastures on the horizon, and he is leading you to a good place. And the third person that I want to talk to is the Christians in the room. And I want to talk to myself a bit here because I've been super challenged. Because being led by Jesus as your shepherd is going to require you to step out of your comfort zone. It's more than just a Sunday feel-good service. It's more than just feeling goosebumps in the worship. But it's about being like Sarah's mum, having cancer, not knowing if you're going to make it or not, but still being able to testify that God is good. Because a faith without depth like this can so easily just become another self-help book. But that's not what Jesus wants for us. He wants for us a life committed to him, and he wants for us to live as mature followers of his kingdom, seeing breakthrough in our lives and the lives of those around us. But as we kind of come in to this time of worship, I'd ask the musicians to come up, and I would just ask you, if, if God has revealed anything to your life, if there's anything that you need to lay down, then um, please, I would do that and ask Jesus to come. But let's pray. Lord, I thank you for your goodness and truth. I thank you that you are the good shepherd and you never leave us. I thank you that you never forsake us. And Father, I just pray, would you convict us and guide us and lead us today? In your name we pray, amen. 
for listening. We hope it was an encouragement to you. Again, check out gatewaychurch.org.nz to find out what's going on within our church.